All right, turn to Joshua 7. All right, we're going to start reading at verse number 1. And it says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmag, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people labor to labor thither, for there are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord, until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites and to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what will thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel hath sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man, and it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, 
and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord, God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord, God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils of a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran unto the tent and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto the children and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Acre unto this day. All right, I know that's a lot of reading, but we're going to walk through that chapter. All right, now let's get Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Verse number 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Everybody stand. You can put your Bibles down. Grab your neighbor's hand. Tonight we're going to talk about the secret things. Every head bowed. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come before you tonight. We, your people, who are called by your name, you've shown mercy and grace to us thus far. Lord, we don't want to frustrate your grace. We don't want to receive your grace in vain. Lord, search our hearts tonight in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want to lay ourselves before you. For you're already omniscient. You know the way that we take. You're acquainted with all of our ways. Lord, help us. In the name of Jesus, to dig down deep into our souls. 
Lord, that we might lay ourselves bare before you tonight, mind, soul, body, and spirit. Lord, we ask that your spirit would take up a standard against the adversary tonight. We don't want to play church. Lord, we want your true essence, and we're claiming victory in this place tonight. Lord, transform this room into an altar whereby we can lay down our troubles, Lord. Every burden, we bring it to you tonight. Every frustration, Lord. Every perversion. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that you would crush it in the name of Jesus. Begin to minister in this place right now. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. It is your anointing that will abolish, that will destroy every yoke of bondage. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a quote that says, we magnify the grace of God, but grace is only a fragment of his character. It coexists with justice. We must give to God what he has claimed to be his. We will miss out on future blessings by hiding and keeping secret the things that God is demanding us to turn over to him right now. What we do, the decisions we make, have the ability to affect not only us, but those that are around us, our family, our loved ones. Self-confidence, dependence on human wisdom, impatience, lack of prayer, and a secret sin were behind Israel's defeat at Ai. Now, if you go back a chapter, you will read that God told Joshua, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to get the priest, and I want you to get the shofar horn. And I want you to march around Jericho seven days in a row. And I don't want you to say anything while you march. All I want you to do is just walk. Don't say nothing. Don't shout. Don't sing. Don't dance. Just simply march around the city. Now, when you get there the seventh day, I want you to do it seven times on the seventh day. And after the seventh time on the seventh day, I want you to shout with a shout that you've never shouted with before. And I'm going to let you know that the, the walls of Jericho are going to come down. You won't have to do anything. In fact, the Bible says that the, the wall was so abolished that when they went into the city, they didn't even have to lift up their foot to step over the wall. It completely was abolished. This is the victory that they had just come out of. So you got to imagine that Israel was feeling mighty high on themselves. We have a God that will, just at the march of our feet and the shout of our voice, will defeat our enemy. The Bible says that God told them, when you go into the city, you are to take nothing from them. You are to destroy everything that is in the city, from the people to their belongings, except for the precious metals. The precious metals, the gold and the silver, I'm going to use it for my house. But Achan, 
for whatever reason, decided that when whoever house he stormed in the battle of Jericho, that he saw a, a garment that he just had to have. Then he took the gold and the silver, and he hid it. Now, some might think that the judgment that was pronounced on Achan might have been a little harsh or pronounced on Israel. Because after all, it was just one man. I mean, out of a million folk, Lord, 999,999 kept your will. Why should we have to pay the price for the one? Why would we go to AI and be defeated after we just saw how victorious you can make us in Jericho? Number one, God didn't speak to Joshua and tell them to go to AI. He spoke to him and told him to take Jericho. It was Joshua that said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to conquer AI. God didn't tell him to go. So you, you got to know when God is speaking and when to stand still. You cannot serve God on your last victory. Your next victory has nothing to do with your last victories many times. You have to wait for God to speak. So only one had sinned, but God brought judgment upon the entire camp of Israel. Achan had not only robbed God of what belonged to him, but he also robbed Israel of their faithful standing with God. He tainted how God looked at Israel. He allowed a cancer to enter into the body, a cancer that if not taken out, would begin to infiltrate the rest of the body. Now you notice at the end of the chapter, after they defeated Jericho, Joshua pronounced a judgment on anybody who would attempt to rebuild that city. If anybody would ever come and try to rebuild Jericho, their children would die. God would honor Joshua's curse on whoever did this. So we must always depend on God. No matter how easy the task may look, we must make sure that we are in the will of God before we make big decisions. Number one, make sure that our sins are ever before us and not following us. Number two, make sure that we are pleasing God at the present time. It's easy to say, I've been walking with God 30 years. But the Bible says that a man can walk with me all his life and do righteous. But the minute he turns from his righteousness and turns to transgression, I will forget not the last righteous thing, but I'll forget all the righteousness before that which you've done. Sometimes we walk up to God like we, we just scoring points. Some of us got a righteous tab with heaven. We will talk about what we've done for the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years on behalf of the Lord. Next, we are never to rely solely upon the previous experiences to be the rule by which we advance into the next experience. God must be with you now. Is he ever present? Is he Jehovah Shammah for you right now today? We must never underestimate our enemy. That was another thing. Joshua, there's no need in taking the whole camp to Ai. Now for Jericho, all of us marched. But this one, Joshua, let us handle it. 
So they underestimated things by how they looked. Just because AI was not as intimidating as Jericho doesn't mean anything. The devil has many vices which at first glance don't seem to have the power to make our hearts melt and become as water. So we dibble and dabble in stuff. I can handle that. It's, it's not going to affect me. I know, it, I know it, it made this one fall or it made that one fall. This one couldn't handle it. That one couldn't handle it. But I got this. Notice that their, their posture. They were so confident. Two or three thousand. What led the battle of Jericho was the Ark of the Covenant. He told Joshua, take the Ark first. And march the Ark around. Sometimes we doing the march and not realizing that it's the glory of the Lord. That's going to defeat the enemy. It is the presence of God that will crush the adversary's plan, his scheme, everything that he's worked to destroy you. It is the presence of God that's going to do it. Only God knows the true power of our enemy, and we must rely upon him for the tactics to defeat each enemy. This is why it's not wise, the Bible says, for you to judge yourself by another man. Because what works for one might not work for you. Listen to what Joshua did. He sent spies. He sent them from Jericho to Ai. They are ascending. God has the children of Israel ascending. Anytime you read in the Bible when they go to Jerusalem... The Bible always says that they go up to Jerusalem. Last time we talked about the potter, the potter had to go down to the potter's house. So anytime you're in the presence of God and he sends you somewhere else, it's going to be down to accomplish what you're going to do because you can never ascend higher than he is. Jericho means a place of fragrance. Ai means ruins. Joshua sent them from fragrance to ruin because he didn't listen to God. He didn't wait to hear from God. Now, the Bible says that AI is up from the place of fragrance. This speaks of pride in the lifting up of oneself without the help of God. The Bible says that AI is beside the house of Beth-Avon. It's beside the house of Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon means the house of nothingness. So beside is a term of equality. It is really no better or no worse. Then he said that Ai was east of the house of God. It was east of Bethel. It was up from Jericho, it was beside Bethaven, and it was east of Bethel. Now, east represents the front or the forepart. With regard to time, it represents antiquity or eternity. Properly, what is in front of one or a country that is before or in front of another. So AI was blocking the glory of Bethel. Bethel is ultimately where God was trying to get them. All right, so 
Once these two, 3,000 men get to Ai, they couldn't even get in the gate. This easy task that they thought would be so minuscule, so easy, walk in the park, won't even have to blink my eye. The minute they get to the gate, the men of Ai chase the Israelites from the gate even to Shebarim. Now, Shebarim means breaks or ruins or quarries. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but in, in desert places, you have breaks in the grounds that kind of, they're, they're not real steep cliffs, but, but they're not something that you can run across without tripping up because they have big dips in them. All right? It is a place of affliction. It is a place of a breach or a breaking. To be broken-footed or broken-handed, it, it means to be bruised or a crashing, destruction, hurt, or interpretation, a vexation. They chased the Israelites back to the place where they were broken. This lets us know that Egypt was still in their heart. Because at the first real battle of resistance, and someone's chasing you, you go right back. To the point of breaking. The Bible says that their hearts melted. And became as water. Now they were so sure that they can take this. What happened to all that self confidence? Chin up. Shoulder square. Now their head is hung low. And they chased them. The, the text says. In the going down. The Bible never tells you to retreat from your enemy. He says to stand fast against the wiles of the devil. He says that when you can't move forward, to stand still. All Having done all to stand, stand therefore. But never retreat. It's either I'm standing or I'm moving forward. When you begin to back up and let the devil intimidate you, you're really saying... Here's your key back to your kingdom, Satan. Because he gave the power to the church. The devil doesn't even have keys to his own kingdom. Jesus took them and gave them to us. And then we, in turn, just going to give it back to him. Because in the book of Revelation, how did the serpent from Genesis become the dragon of Revelation? If indeed... Calvary was victorious over the enemy. How did he become a dragon in Revelation when he was a serpent? It's because the church, one by one, aching by aching, is giving the devil back his keys. This is a free will thing. So their hearts melted. In Joshua chapter 2 and 11, it was the enemy's heart that melted after they heard of what God was doing in Israel. Listen to Rahab. Rahab said, as soon as we heard, this is the, the people of Jericho, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, the Israelites. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. This is what Rahab told them. When Joshua sent the spies into Jericho. 
and they got word and wind that there were spies from Israel in the land. They sent out and said, we want to talk to these men because we're afraid, really, of their God because we've been hearing about the, this God of the Israelites that is whooping our enemies and our, and our, our surrounding neighbors, and we just want to talk to them and find out what's going on. Rahab said, y'all better get out of here because they are looking for you. Our hearts are melting because of you. So what did Joshua do when the Israelites failed at Ai? The Bible says, he and the elders fell on the earth upon their faces, and they did it before the ark. Now be careful where you fall down on your face. Because you might just actually go down at, and, and kneel at the feet of your enemy. Make sure that you make it back to the Ark of the Covenant. Make it back to the glory of God before you fall on your face. Because who you bow to is your God. Who you crumble down before is the one that has the power over you. And Joshua said, I'm going to get back to the glory of God and I'm going to fall on my face. I know God didn't tell me to go to Ai. I know that I sent spies and moved on my own volition, but I'm going to get back to the glory of God. And he did it until the evening. Now, the Bible says that he woke up early in the morning and sent them to Ai. The battle wasn't, it didn't last any time. They fled right away. So it was still morning when they came back defeated with 36 men dead. Joshua fell on his face from morning till night. And God let him stay there all day. You just sit there. You sit there and think about what's going on. Joshua didn't say nothing. God didn't say nothing. Then finally, Joshua says, all right. Lord, have you brought us out here? Now, you got to realize that God had already told the Israelites, I'm going to defeat every enemy in your path. I am going to be with you. You don't have to worry about nothing. This is the covenant that God gave them. Joshua takes that promise of God and starts to doubt. Have you brought us out here to kill us? We should have been content we're being baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Why do we have to move beyond the Jordan? We should have just stayed there, the place of comfort. Wouldn't have to face any enemies. Wouldn't have to depend on God to, to lead and guide us anywhere. We just could have just stayed there and did nothing. But you got to realize that even when Mo Moshe, when Moses was still alive, Moses told God, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. Why? Because they've cried out to me. These are the same folk. Actually, this is the second generation of the same folk that cried out to God for help. Now Joshua is saying, we should have stayed on the other side of the Jordan. It's a bad thing when you think that you were better off before God started mightily using you. It is, a, it is a terrible thing to regret being used by God. And in your mind to backslide and say, I was better off back there. And they did it with Moses all the time. We should have stayed in Egypt. I could just hear Moses, but 
y'all the reason I'm here. Because you cried to God, God came to me. See, God is, he, there's one thing that when you cry out to him, he will always hear your cry. When you cry out to him and you really want deliverance, God is not unjust to leave you in your sin, in your trouble, in your dilemma. He will deliver you if you want to be delivered, but he can't bring you from point A to point, to point B if you're holding on to point A. Then he says, what can I say to this cowardice nation? What do you want me to say, God, to your people? Because right now I'm speechless. You sent me out here to get victory, and I'm speechless because we've been defeated. This is battle number two after the Jordan. That's one and one. It's not pretty good for a boxer to think he's going to be pound for pound the best heavyweight. You want to be undefeated defending the title. You don't be one for one. That's not how you get to the top. Then he says, what will you do to your name? Now he's chiding God and bringing his own name on him. What did God say? God told Joshua, after not answering a word to him and saying anything all day from night into evening, and the first thing that comes out of God's mouth is shut up. <laughs> and the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. What are you doing on your face? Lord, I thought this was the protocol. I thought that when you were in trouble, you're supposed to lay down on your face and cry out to God. And God says, what are you doing? Lord, I'm doing the church thing. It's just what I'm supposed to do. They say, praise him, I jump. They say, run, I run. And God's saying, shut up. Israel has sinned. They're sinned. And if you had enough confidence in my first covenant that I would be with you and would lead you to every victory, you would know and say there's no way that God is back down on his disc. There's got to be something wrong with either me or them. So there's sin in the camp. Now I want you to find it and I want you to deal with it. The transgression is this. They've been unfaithful. Number one, listen to all the things that he lists. Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing. Then they've also stolen, and they're being dishonest about it. And they've mixed it with their own stuff. They've stolen that which belonged to the Lord, was not offered to him. They've dissembled. They've put on a false. That word dissemble means to put on a false appearance. They put on a mask like everything was okay. And ooh, we defeated Jericho. They have concealed facts. This is what this word dissembled means. They've concealed the facts. They've concealed their intentions and or feelings under some pretense. They are liars. Dishonest. Then they have mixed it with their own things so as to camouflage it. Some of us are just chameleons. Let anything get on us and we just, we find a way to make it camouflage with church. We make it camouflage with religion. We make it camouflage with, that's just my personality. 
Now in six, he told them the city shall be accursed. When he talked about Jericho, God said the city shall be the curse, accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all that are with her in her house because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing lest you make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and you make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. Now hold on to that word trouble because Achan's name actually means trouble. The valley where they took to stone him means the valley of trouble. He was answering to his own name. But notice the four elements of sin. Same old thing. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. It worked in the garden. The devil said it works. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm going to go with it. God had already said there's sin in the camp. I want you to find it. And the way I want you to find it is I want you to call every tribe. And out of every tribe, I want you to find every clan's. Out of every clan, I want you to find the family. And out of family, then we're going to pinpoint the man. See, if you really want to get to the root of the matter as to why you're being defeated in your life, you got to send out a search party. Now, I've lost stuff in my house, and I've caught myself looking for it, but I really didn't look for it. The Bible says in the New Testament that a woman lost a very precious coin in her house. And when she couldn't find it, the Bible says she tore her house up. When are you going to tear the thing down? When are you going to tear it up? You, you, you say, Lord, I want to be delivered. I want to be set free. But when are you going to start tearing up some stuff to get to the core of the matter? It's easy to, to give lip service and say, Lord. But God said, these people, and me and my brothers always had a saying, I know what your lips are saying. I know what your mouth's saying. He said, their mouths, they praise me. They give me glory with the, with the tongue, with the mouth. He said, but their heart is far from me, not even close. The heart is what God answers to. So Akon says, number one, I saw. It entered into my eye gate. Number two, he said, I coveted. That means it became special to me. It became Something very endearing and, and precious to me. Just by looking at it. Before I even touched it, I had already started to fall all apart over this thing. Now, if he had looked upon these things with the eye of faith, he would have seen them accursed. See, you want to see things as God sees things. And God said, everything in Jericho is cursed. Everything in Jericho was a curse because the people of Jericho were cursed. Therefore, everything they owned is cursed. See, what you own has the mark of who you are on it. Some of us can understand because there's curses in some of our families. It just trickles down from generation to generation to generation. Till somebody says, enough. Most folk never get to the point of saying enough because they become comfortable with it. They become accepting of it. And then they don't want to be ostracized when they speak up and start exposing stuff. See, but if you say you're light, when you walk in the room that's dark, that means that some stuff is going to be exposed just for who you are. 
Proverbs 15 and 27 says, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. Next, after I saw and coveted, he said, I took. So now what has entered the eye affects the heart, and out of the heart proceeded the issues of life. And it actuates the hand. It puts action to the hand. Then after that, I hid. So I saw, I coveted, I took, and then I hid. The same thing Adam and Eve did. Saw, coveted, took, hid. So this is the thing that leads to secrecy and dissimulation. The falsehood comes on then. So he says, all right, you got to fix this thing. Destroy the accursed thing. Notice the downward slope of sin and the snowball effect. The stuff from Jericho was accursed because the owners were cursed. The curse is transferred from the citizens of Jericho to their belongings and then ultimately to the next owner of those things. Be careful what you run after. It might look good. It might be the baddest coat you ever saw. It might be the baddest shoes you ever saw. It might be the best job that you could fathom in your mind. But be careful who took ownership of that thing before you got there because it just might be cursed. Be careful of the tradition that you fall into because that might be cursed. I mean, this was an Israel thing and not an Achan thing. This is why everybody else was affected. All right, the punishment. Now, you could say, all right, I know Achan did it, but why we got to take his children and stone his children? Because the Bible says in Deuteronomy, the fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. But yet we find here that Achan, his family, all his stuff were all destroyed. Why couldn't they just leave the family alone? Many theologians, although the text doesn't say it, for God to be just to his own law, apparently they knew what was going on. They became the aiders and the betters by keeping the secret. So when we take and own other people's secrets... We become no more or no less. We become beside Bethaven. Ai was beside Beth. It was equal to nothingness. You become equal to nothingness when you hold the secrets of those around you. Especially when those secrets have the possibility of affecting other folk. 36 folk are now dead because nobody said nothing. How many folk have we saw killed in the church because nobody said nothing? We let stuff go. Oh, that's just brother so-and-so. That's just how he is. I mean, it would be impossible for all of that treasure. Big old beautiful coat. They know daddy didn't buy that coat. 
What am I going to look like walking with a brand new mink on in my house? Nobody going to see nothing? So what we do is we just turn the cheek. I didn't see that. What silver? What gold? Now, the amount of what he took was enough to live off uh, for the rest of your life. Maybe that was the payment of the family keeping the secret. Daddy rich now, we ain't even got to do nothing. So the family had to be stoned with them because no doubt, although the text doesn't say it, but God is just, he will not make you pay for sins that you did not commit or that you did not condone. I want to read something. The commentary says, here is a community in which a horrible crime has been committed and a man shot down in cold blood for his fidelity to truth or virtue or the public welfare. The blood of that man, God will require of that entire community unless they exhaust every resource of law and society to bring the guilty to punishment. We may narrow the circle to the individual and the principle will still apply. One sin in the heart will neutralize a thousand virtues in the life. One secret offense will make a man a coward in the face of the world. One moral weakness will spoil a whole character. This old story of the Battle of Ai is paralleled in all its essential features in every age and country. Some unrecognized weakness, some unforeseen turn of events confuses the most careful calculations and neutralizes the most elaborate preparations. The writer says, I believe that at the heart, the majority of Christian men and women desire and attempt to be and do the best and most possible. But there is some defect of will, some infirmity of temper, some unwillingness to surrender to God, what may be considered an unimportant particular. And so long as the, that hindrance is in the way, our prayers and our struggles for better and larger growth are unavailing. And the influence of that obstacle continually makes itself more and more felt for evil. And what is true of the individual Christian life is true also of the life and the progression of the Christian church as a whole. That church has made great advances and won not a few triumphs at various periods and in certain directions. At the same time, it is true that the church ought to have accomplished greater things, ought to be doing far more than it is today. After all, it is God's church, and he abides in it, and that of itself is a warrant for imperial greatness. What conquest is too vast to be expected when the Lord of hosts marshals the forces that are enlisted to win it? With such portents and prophecies of triumph, why should there be any discouragement or half-heartedness or laggard marches or unwilling hands? or partial successes. Why was not the promise fulfilled long ago that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ? Why do we have to wait till after the tribulation for that prophecy to be fulfilled? 
when the power that created the earth, the universe, the stars, the heaven, that power resides in the church. And the Bible says that we are supposed to conquer the kingdoms of this world and turn them over. Now, the church has to have all kind of members because when you think of every kingdom, he's not physically talking about just nations. He's talking about every vice that has taken control of mankind. Now we're getting into pride. We're getting into sexual immorality. We're getting into homosexuality. We're getting into everything. And all of these kingdoms are supposed to be brought down in the church. A great deal is said in our time about the need of a working church. There is another need that is quite as great, though, and that is the need of a church through which God can work. It's one thing for the church to work, but we need a church that God is going to work through. It is not the method and the spirit of the working of the church so much as the way and the extent in which and to which it is wrought upon of the divine spirit that determines its efficiency. Your efficiency is determined by God. Your success or your failures are determined by God. You are not the judge of your successes or failures. You are not the judge of when God says, well done. He's the one that has to say, well done. And a lot of times we're patting ourselves on the back when God is completely left and just left you standing there all by yourself. This is what happened with Israel when they went to Ai. They were patting themselves on the back, and God said, I'm not even going to be with you until you get rid of the accursed thing. It is the folly of the church of this age that it spends so much ingenuity in devising machinery and too little time in preparing the way of the Lord and making his path straight. We got the program. We got the one, two, three, four. At this time, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. But sometimes God does things in unconventional ways. And when you get stooped and this is what we come to do. No, we no. You can't do that. That's not the order of the service. So God sits back and just says, I don't know what they're shouting about. There's a reason he's at his own door. He's knocking on the door of his own church. The king of glory. So we read, be ye lifted up. Ye everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in. But he's on the outside saying, can I please come? I'd like to see what y'all are so excited about. What? What's... See, because when you go through the same old formality, but there's no added victory. You just put on a, a completely different mess. Now you're, you've hidden stuff. Now notice where Achan hid everything. He said he hid it in the earth in the midst of his tent. Lord, I, I've hidden all this stuff that you don't like. I've hidden it deep down inside of this nefesh, inside of the earth, inside of the body. I've hidden it so deep that nobody sees it. Because I know how to put the game face on. I know how to come and Ika Mahan and shout around the church. And I know how to make it look like I'm victorious. Not only that, but I've hid it in the midst of the tent. 
So Jesus had to have an answer for it. So he says, if you defile the tent, I'll destroy the tent. We have to lay aside every weight. Somebody say every weight. And the sin that has the ability to easily deter us from our destiny with God. The sin is very easy to do. It's not hard to sin. Because when we think of sin, we think of fornication, we think of adultery, we think of hatred, we think of murder. We don't think of, I doubt it that God could do this for me. Whatever is not a faith is sin. And then if we say we have no sin, you're lying. And that was written to the church, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, tongue talking church. If you have no sin, you're a liar. Because you will never make it into heaven by not sinning. You won't make it into heaven by not sinning. I I don't drink. I don't smoke. I I stay faithful to my wife. I raise my kids. I'm, I'm loyal to my family. Pay my taxes. I do all that. (laughs) See, the thing is that God's righteousness is not earned. It's imputed. All you have to do is receive it. And then because you receive it, you walk in the victory concerning all the other sins. But your righteousness is as filthy rags. And when you get to heaven, it will only be because he covered you with mercy. And said, I know you're fouled up. I know you're wicked. I know what you are. But my grace is sufficient for you. And this is how love can hide a multitude of sins. It is his love for us that causes him to keep coming to our rescue time after time. God came to set us free. And if he, if he sets us free then you should be free indeed. Is that not what the Bible says? So the question stands, what have you buried in the earth in the midst of your tent? Not only did you bury it, but you, you, you categorized it. He put it in a certain order because he says, the thing that you'll find the deepest buried is the silver. He had in his mind Okay, if they find the gold, at least I'll have the gold. If they find the gold, maybe they won't find the silver. So if they find out this about me, they won't find that about me. So we do this whole thing in life of, of running, hiding. Who have you possibly cursed in your hiding? This is the flip side of what she just talked about. They didn't think about who's being cursed in the thing. Because everybody just wants to know about blessings. But there's a flip side to blessings. The flip side to blessings is cursings. And if you love your brother or sister, if you steal all of the blessings, that leaves nothing but cursings for your brother or sister. Why would you want that? Here's what we have to do. The Bible says that when Achan told them where to find it, he said they ran quickly to get it. Don't make haste. Don't wait till the next retreat. Don't wait till Sunday. Don't wait till tomorrow. Run 
and get it now. And then you bring it. That's why I ask God, transform this place into an altar. Bring it before the Lord. They laid all of the stolen goods before the Lord. God has put claim on some stuff that we keep holding on to. Because he said, take my yoke, for my yoke is easy. Give me yours. Everything that has you bound belongs to me because I paid for it. He paid for your trials, your tests, every vice. He paid for all of that. And since he bought it, he's the rightful owner of it. And you have no right to it whatsoever. So why are you carrying it? Why is it hidden in your tent? I went into the garage one time at our old townhouse. And I share, we shared the garage to the people next to us. And I came home. I had my Christmas lights in the garage. I came home one day, looked at my neighbor's window. They had my Christmas lights in their window. My Christmas lights that I paid my money for. How must God feel when he's marching through the, the annals of your heart and finds his own stuff hidden in your heart? Why have they stolen this from me? I thought I took this from them. I thought this belonged to me. I thought that this worry was now my worry. Because he's in your soul now. He didn't came home and found you didn't stole his own stuff. So lay it before the Lord. Don't wait for the secret to cause the death of your fellow man. Listen to the grace of God. When Achan came and told all of his stuff, Joshua called him my son. So even though you messed up, God is still saying, my son, just confess what you've done. I know what you've done. But the Bible says that with the mouth, confession is made to what? Salvation. Y'all don't know that scripture because we always fighting against that scripture. Romans 10 and 9. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. That's a shame. We didn't fault that scripture so much we don't believe it. <laughs> All right. Listen how he phrases it, though. When you confess your sin, you are giving glory to God. He said to Achan, give glory to God. And by give glory to God, he meant that he's omniscient. And you've been doting about as if God don't know nothing at all. Give him his glory and respect his omnisciency. Now lay it out there. What have you done? Some of us don't want to say it. If you don't have the audacity to say it, you don't really want to be free. Make confession to him and stop hiding. You come out and say, 
I don't care what people think. Because after all, it's God that's the judge at the end. Not your brother, not your sister, not your mother, not your father. Nobody else is going to judge you in the end but God. And he knows the way that you take. Now the question is, will we give it to him? How many years have you been putting one thing down, picking it back up? Putting one thing down, picking it back up? That means it's not dead. Why are you giving that thing power? And then you're causing your own misery. You have the power to leave it on the altar and allow God to burn it up. Allow him to burn it up. Don't just, don't give it no chance. Like the scary movies, they, they shoot the man once and then they, they hugging each other. The man's not dead. Make sure it's dead before you get all comfortable again. Otherwise, you're going to have six, seven sequels. Because nobody ever sticks around and watches to make sure Pharaoh was drowned. The secret things. Jesus said it's the little foxes that destroy the vine. It's the little things that you think that nobody, it doesn't matter. Nobody's paying attention to that. But God is saying... That little thing will cause you to miss this whole thing. Now, the victory of this is, listen, with Jericho, God said, don't take nothing. Now, if Achan would have just listened to God, if you read the following chapter, when he sends them back to Ai, God tells them you could take whatever you want. It was a test. So Achan for a little silver gold, he probably could have got 10 times that in AI. Don't miss your future blessing by holding on to secrets. God desires truth on the inward parts. Let's stand. If you want to lay your stuff out right now, you can lay it right before God. You can fall before his presence like Joshua did. But make sure you're in his presence. Not the presence of your circumstance. Not fear. But God loves us. God does things because he loves us. He didn't do this to Israel just to harm them. He did it to make a point that I am holy. But I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to send you to another battle and you can take whatever you want. Remember last, last retreat we talked about being in the holy place. And when you get to that place, the Bible says you can ask anything that you want and God will give it to you. Because you, you've stepped into that favor and allowed God to be God in your life. Father, in the name of Jesus. One more time, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to face those things that we've hidden so deep in our hearts. Those things that are causing us 
to flee from our enemies and our hearts are melting and becoming as water. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen the feeble knees, lift the heads that hang down. Grant to these your people the victory over whatever they're battling right now in the name of Jesus. We lay it before your presence. We put it down. And we ask, Lord, as the walls of Jericho, that it will be utterly destroyed and a curse be upon anybody that tries to rebuild it. Lord, we know that you hear the cries of your people. In the name of Jesus, you're able to deliver and to heal and to set free, but it is according to our faith. Lord, remove all doubt from our minds. Remove everything that is against your counsel, against your will. We submit our wills to you wholly tonight. In the name of Jesus, have your way. Lord, help us not to be a hindrance to those around us, but to be a beacon light, Lord. Help us to realize that we are our brother's keeper, that you've called us into one body. Every secret, Lord, we ask that your presence would reveal even the things we've hidden from ourselves and refuse to acknowledge and to face. With you, we can do all things, but without you, we can do nothing. It is your anointing that is able to destroy these yokes of bondage, the yoke of depression, the yoke of low self-esteem, Lord. The devil said that we would never be anything, that we would never have victory. We would never be happy. We would never have joy. We renounce the hidden things of darkness, even right now. Once again, let your spirit take up a standard. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Push back the forces of darkness that have come to take our soul. Lord, calls us to be the husbands, the fathers, the wives, the children that you've called us to be. Lord, we're your people and we want to show forth the praises of you who has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, do it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We commit ourselves to you. Asking that you would have your way in our lives, Lord. Whatever battle is next, Lord, give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Give us direction, Lord. Hallelujah. Lead us to Bethel. Lead us to the house where your presence resides, Lord. We plan to make your path straight. Lord, we keep no thing from you tonight. No more secrets. No more secrets. No more secrets. I pray that husbands and wives, Lord, would have no more secrets. That they would be free. You called us to greatness. You called us to holiness. You called us to power. Lord, allow us to walk in that power in truth and in love. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Ah, glory. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Minister to our needs. Ah, glory. We lift up your name. We hallow your name. Your name has power. And we plead the blood of Jesus tonight. We plead the blood of Jesus. Cover us with your mercy, your grace, Lord. Send forth a free spirit of praise and worship in the name of Jesus. Show your glory. 
We give your glory back to you, Lord. We're calling that thing out. Calling it out. Lay it before his presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give glory to God. Make the confession. Give glory to God and make the confession. Let your train fill this temple, Lord. Let your train cover. Yes, Lord, examine us. Every spot and every wrinkle, Lord, examine it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Press in. Yes, Lord. Lord, hallelujah. Lord, we don't know how we slept with this hidden thing for so long. Laid our heads down every night. <laughs> 